Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello and welcome to the Good Divorce Show. I'm your host, Karen McNinney. Uh, Today we have someone, ironically, who has never been divorced and yet is a very relevant guest to the show. Mary Althauser comes to us from the divorce professional community, longtime lawyer, mediator, collaborative divorce lawyer. Welcome to the show, Mary Althauser. Thank you, Karen. Happy to be here. Yes, you are one of the warriors out in the world working to help more people have a good divorce, not blow themselves up. I'm curious, just share with our listeners the stepping stones that brought you into this industry of law and and how it is that you came to choose to specialize in family law and divorce. Why would a person do such a thing? (laughs) Good question, Karen. (laughs) So I actually went to school um, for both music and psychology. Um, And right after um, undergrad, I was a um, social worker. And I ended up volunteering as a CASA volunteer, which is a person who um, volunteers in the courtroom representing kids who are in the foster care system. And I remind us what CASA stands for. Um, Court Appointed Special Advocates. It's a national organization. Um, And it makes sure that um, we bring vibrance and reality to what the kids are experiencing who are in foster care, instead of just kind of stepping through the legal hoops as if there is no actual human involved. So um, it was really an honor to be a CASA volunteer, but it was my first exposure to court. And um, it was so bizarre <laughs> to see oh, so. what court was like, because though, I mean, the question and answer format and the way that everybody just say, states their position, nobody talks to each other. They just talk to the judge um, and go from left field to right field and all over the place. Um, and it seemed it was very strange to me to watch. But then when I saw the outcomes and the good things that could happen, with that, I really um, kind of was quite intrigued by the court process, and I wanted to go and represent children in court. Um, and so I went to law school, and I did that for a long time. I still represent kids in court. Um, and um, really, divorce work was just what's most in your face when you're a new lawyer, because there is so much work. Um, there's a lot of do-it-yourself forms. There's a lot of people struggling. And so it's just the easiest thing to start working on and getting into. And so it was really just kind of a matter of, well, that's what the phone calls were about. And so that's what I did um, to start off. A little bit of a a default there. And I hear you saying like, there's always plenty of work in the divorce world. And maybe that's the next thing we conquer is actually to reduce the rate of divorce. But here it is, it's continuing to happen. And there must have been something that sort of grabbed your attention because you it was no longer a passive choice. It became an active choice. For sure. Um, I think what I found was really my strengths was in kind of being an even-keeled voice of reason during these struggling times. And so I did all the training to also become a mediator and really focused on that. Because it is a waste of time to say, well, I want something out of left field and I want something out of right field. And then let's spend time fighting um, and spending money and um, alienating each other until we land in center field. Um, Why not just have some um, compassion, empathy and respect and start with center field? (laughs) Um, And so that's really kind of um, what I found I'm not necessarily passionate about divorce, but I'm passionate about eliminating um, pain and suffering from your from a person's life. And that's what this can do. Hmm. And there are many people experiencing pain and suffering through the divorce journey. And uh, i've I've heard you say, so many people arrive with the scene on TV option, and which really captures our movies, our media, our social media, that there is such a strong narrative um, that 
pr- that that front loads people as to what they think divorce is going to be, what it should be, and how they should behave in it. What are some of those misnomers that you run into? Those misnomers, I mean, typically center around center around. I got to fight for what's mine. I got to fight for my rights. I got to stand up for myself. Um, no more Mister Nice Guy um, kind of mindset. Um, that really t- it just amplifies lo- lots of little problems to make them into mountains that we never conquer. Um, it turns nothing, you know, things that aren't problems into problems. Um, and so it's, it's, I, I mean, I feel in my work, there's just a constant having to reframe, um, that mindset into something that's more collaborative, that's Mm -hmm. so many more ways to go about things. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about some of those approaches. You already mentioned, you know, mediation, can you dive a little deeper and educate our listeners of not only what mediation is, but also what it's not and in contrast to our more standard litigation? Give it, give us the menu of how one might choose to get divorced. Sure. So um, the typical scenario um, includes a little bit of both. And so typically, you know, both pers- people have an attorney, one files their um, request, the other responds. And oftentimes they end up going to mediation anyways. And so many of those cases do settle with a mediator, which is kind of a shuttle style, one person in one room, the other in the other. I go back and forth until we iron out all of the issues that have come up over the course of litigation. Um, And there's oftentimes not a trial. It's it's probably, you know, like in Montana, maybe five to 10% of cases ever actually need a trial. Um, then, um, you can also opt to do early mediation, whether you have attorneys or not. And that means that before we start doing, um, maybe even haven't even filed anything in court or we've filed a couple things, but we have not blown anything up yet. Um, we start working with a mediator who does, um, kind of back and forth with both parties on small issues. Um, And you can even do that without attorneys at all. And before you filed anything, which is what I do most often is that two people come to me and they say, we want a divorce. We don't want separate attorneys. We want to hire a mediator together. Um, And we come up with a plan um, for how to divide up everything, um, how to handle parenting schedules and parenting decisions. And we come up with an agreement before anything is even filed in court. And then I type that up and turn it in. It's a one-stop shop. There's no hearing. The judge just signs it sometimes the same day that I turn it in. Um, I think this is such an interesting insight that people may not even realize that this is an option. And I find sometimes with clients, I'm tapping the brakes for them. I'm like, you don't you don't have to start with the judge. You don't have to start with lawyers. Start with each other. Start with a divorce coach. Start with a mediator. And that what we're doing is we're writing a story for the family if there are children involved, which often there are. And that story can be written a lot of different ways. And it is the story of the couple to decide how they want it to go. And this is a wonderful reminder of you know, don't don't start with the the legal uh, battle. You might actually be able to have a. It, I guess what I've heard it said is how we begin is often how we end. So how do you want to begin that journey? Totally, mm-hmm. and even even when it is a legal issue, I mean, the, no judge is going to question. At least this is this is my advice for Montana specific, or maybe even Missoula, Montana specific where it's where I practice the most. But if you come up with some sort of plan that works best for your family and that you believe is best, a judge isn't going to question it. And the really the only rules is things have to be fair and they have to be in your children's best interest. And why would some gray-haired dude sitting behind a bench know what that should be when it could be you and your spouse doing one final act of self-care and caring for your kids by coming up with something that that works for everybody at the kitchen table. So that's, I mean, most often what I'm doing is I'm taking somebody who has a kitchen table agreement that they came up with it over beers or coffee. 
Um, maybe they don't know how to do all of the things or they're not sure they've covered everything. And so I help iron out the corners. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess you wouldn't iron out corners. That doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> the wrinkles. The wrinkles or sharpen the edges, maybe. Um, and and put it into the, you know, the, the legal terminology that the judge would expect. Um but um, there, there, you know, you don't have to, um, you don't have to start with this traditional strategy of asking for a hundred percent and then whittling it down and then hating each other by the time you get to something that's equitable. Yeah, which just sounds dreadful, and many people have gone down that path. I think because they don't know any different. Yeah. There is another trend in family law, specifically around divorce right now, uh, referred to as collaborative law. And it would be wonderful if you could talk about the collaborative team that you work in, what that means, kind of the legal guidelines around it. I think this is just pioneering, really valuable, important work for families to learn more about and to possibly participate in themselves. Yeah. So collaborative law is actually an international set of um, rules and processes that is that becomes adopted, you know, by certain countries, states, local places, um, where um, a divorce happens um, with that was starts with an agreement that we will not go to court, that we will never make threats to tattle to the judge that we will never make threats, we'll all just file something if you don't want to. And we actually don't even talk about well, a judge would never make me do that, so I'm not going to do that. Tell us who typically makes up a collaborative divorce team, because that is one of its models, is that it's a collection of professionals. So a collaborative divorce team includes one attorney for each party who is a certified collaborative lawyer. Um, and so an attorney for spouse one, an attorney for spouse two, Um there is a neutral financial professional um, who handles all of the financial data, all of the financial projections, ins and out on, you know, how can we even access these funds? What might we have to do in order to shift these funds? Um, and that person is a neutral. They don't work for either party. And then the meetings are run by a mental health professional Um who sets the agenda, makes sure each voice is heard, makes sure there's turn-taking, reads the nonverbal cues in the room um, to offer opportunity for breaks, discussion, caucus, um, and insight. Um, And through that team, everything is handled in team meetings. So there is no strategizing behind the scenes. Um, Everything is um, totally transparent. And we go through a certain very strict order of operations in order to avoid um, people taking positions, people angling, um, and making sure that they're um, that everything we discuss is based about on our needs and um, what feels fair versus um, what I could get in court. Mm-hmm. And. I'm curious what you would say to individuals, because my understanding is that if you're all in that room, all three or four of those individuals are getting paid simultaneously. And I know cost is always a concern as people are headed down the divorce road, already knowing that their household income, it's it's one of the great financial strains on a family and an individual is going through divorce. And it's not just the cost of the divorce, but it's kind of the aftermath then of being a single income household, a single income parent, uh, as the case may be. So what do you say to folks who might look at that collaborative process and think, why would we pay all those people all the time to go through the process? And what what is the return on that investment? Yeah. So first off, And in comparison to an ugly legal case, this is going to be a drop in the bucket. So like in we're we're in Montana. So, of course, economics are different, you know, in any state. But we would say we would probably estimate that a collaborative law case will cost the whole family a total of twenty five thousand dollars. So that's a big sticker price. Like you might as well get a car. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, but I have heard of um, folks spending um, 
close to hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal cases because if there's no resolution that gun that's going to go on until your kids turn 18 or until you know all there's no more money to divide anyways um that can be much more costly but the feedback that we hear after a collaborative divorce is you didn't just get us through this tunnel surviving on the other side you got us through as resilient partners once again. And so we've now realigned as co-parents, we, we know how to talk about things with one another. We know when to call in for help. We are never going to spend another penny on this process through the rest of our, you know, divorced career. Um, and so collaborative the collaborative team really teaches us as an opportunity for resilience and to um, learn how to be co, you know, more create a new business relationship mm-hmm. to people that it's just a certain amount of training that you wouldn't get otherwise when you're just trying to get to the finish line and sign off on some sort of divorce agreement to go your separate ways. Absolutely. And I think that is the return on investment. It's not just how to get divorced. It's then also laying the foundation of how to be divorced. So when we come back from our break, we're going to hear more from Mary and some case studies and maybe some common pitfalls that people fall into that we want to try to avoid, as well as some stories of of hope and encouragement from individuals who have found the good divorce path. Stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show. Today we are chatting with Mary Aldhauser. More than a decade spent as a lawyer, mediator, collaborative divorce lawyer uh, in and around Western Montana, Thank you so much for joining us today, Mary, and bringing some of your wisdom and observations and what you've seen over the years. You're welcome. One of the things we talk about in the good divorce approach is this idea of do no more harm. Once you arrive at that decision, it's amazing how much can go south 
as soon as the decisions make. And I remind people we're getting divorced to improve the relationship, not to make it worse. That's why we're actually getting divorced. And I think sometimes people think, oh, we're just supposed to go down one dark road. You have seen over the course of your career examples of when people get it right and when they get it wrong. So let's start with some of those habits that can do harm and damage in the relationship and and those behaviors that people bring to the divorce process that in the end do not serve them over the long haul. Yeah, I agree. There the the battles you might choose when you're working with a relationship partner who you expect to be your long-term love are completely different than the battles you might choose with a business partner who you need to just um, have a working relationship going with, going with in the future. And Do so you see the relationship changing. I've, I've heard this from others as well. Like it, it's a business partnership. Now we're in the business of raising our children, or we're simply in the business of unwinding our assets and trying to not stay in that emotional history. That's exactly what I'm doing with all the folks that I work with, where this comes up is how to have a business like relationship realigning that as co-parents and, and in a business relationship takes some um, uh, heavy uh, filtration of the battles that you would choose. And so the, the biggest pitfall that I see is assuming bad intent or manipulative intent um, in statements from the other person. And so you just read in, oh, they're only doing this because they know I hate Wednesdays and it's hard for me to get there on Wednesdays. So they're only doing this because in 2025, they're going to want to do something or other. (laughs) Um, And so it's all this wasted calculating and how to like, well, how do I manipulate this back? And how do I um, control for um, like internal consistency? Like, well, you said I couldn't do gymnastics last semester. Now you see I can. So what's the problem? Um, where it's like, if you just focus on logistics and assume the attempt, intent of some sort of proposal is just to get the kids to soccer on Tuesday. It's not right. to manipulate your life and it's not to, you know, give their new girlfriend a chance to parent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh, how much of your mental health is just made up in your own mind, assuming those bad intentions. And so so much of it, <laughs> right? We're, we're very good story makers in our head. And then we start telling those stories and pretty soon we start believing them ourselves. And people really sometimes get in this habit of holding on to the past and that, you know, what has happened that that is, that is done. We can't go back and undo it. There are hurts there. So there's a certain kind of grace that I think is also required in bringing our best self to this process. And I've always heard grace talked about it's our ability to forgive, particularly those that we think are unforgivable, right? That is a tall order. It is. And somebody has to do it first. I mean, this, so I'm as oftentimes assigned by the court to manage high conflict cases. I don't know how that's my career, but it is. Um, and um, so when I'm working with two people who are caught in this pattern of assuming bad intent, manipulating back, assuming more bad intent, manipulating back. And so we're never actually discussing soccer. Um, my advice is, well, one of you has to go first. One of you has mm. to stop. And, mm-hmm. and, and so many times neither will because they don't trust the other to reciprocate. And so then second layer of advice is, well, then never expect them to reciprocate. You just have to know that when you're talking about Tuesday soccer, all you're talking about is Tuesday soccer. And right. maybe they're trying to manipulate back. Maybe they're trying to control. But the only person that you can control is yourself. And if you can't let go of that behavior pattern, you're going to spend um, 18 years playing whack-a-mole with um, the, the issue can never be solved. So even when I draft up a plan, okay, well then mom chooses spring sports and dad chooses fall sports. That behavior pattern is just going to crop up now again with, okay, well now who drives to school <laughs> or when do we get to introduce a new girlfriend or boyfriend? It just, it colors everything you do. So you have to get rid of that. It's a huge pitfall. 
you you referenced whack-a-mole. Uh, can you, for those who maybe haven't been to the fair recently or in a different part of the world and maybe don't recognize whack-a-mole, des- describe what it is literally and then how that metaphor plays out in what you were just uh, speaking to. Yeah. So whack-a-mole is, is a fair game where you, you know, you put your quarter in and then a mole comes up out of a hole. It's a board that has maybe like nine holes on it. And a whack, a mole comes up and you whack it with a mallet. And then another one comes up out of a different hole and you whack it with a mallet. And it's just never ending. And like the points are based on how many moles you whack. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to stop this because what you're saying is each one of those popping up is is just these old triggers and it just keeps you in the game and one disappears and another pops up and then you go battle that and then another one pops up. And I've seen this, people just exhausted for extended period of times, years going around and just kind of picking battles, finding reasons to get into a hostile environment with their former spouse. And who suffers the most in that situation, Mary? You know, this is this is why I am assigned as these case managers in high conflict cases, because conflict is the number one bad outcome for kids in divorce. Mm-hmm. Not have to be bad for kids. Um, it can be an opportunity to teach them resilience and how to realign with somebody that you might not like. But if there is um, hostility between the two parents, um, that colors, they feel that they can't even express themselves. They can't express what they want to do because they're walking on eggshells about what battle that's going to create between mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I have like, one example is I worked with these little girls who mom was a hairstylist and then dad remarried and a different hairstylist. And so throughout the parenting time, each you know, mom and stepmom would do the little girl's hair for school. And every time it got more and more elaborate, like they were having this mommy war at the end of each person's week on who could just send that passive aggressive message via the kid's hair. Wow. And when anybody commented and complimented the girls on their hair, because of course it was the coolest braided hairstyles for, you know, any kid, you know, I'm lucky if I can get my kids to brush their hair, you know, once a week to have a prom style hair, the kids would just break down in tears because it's not about them. It's not about what they wanted. They, they you know, it hurt their head to get prom done every Friday. Um, they knew they were being sent messages to the other person. And so even when I interviewed their teachers and the school counselors, they say never, ever compliment the girls on their beautiful hair, because all it will do is remind them that their personalities don't matter. And what matters is the messages of hatred going back between the two families. And so all those little micro things that happen to kids, you have no idea what they're holding back, what they feel they can't be, if they have to worry about whether it's going to make an argument between mom and dad. Oh my gosh, what a powerful example. This idea, we hear it all the time. What's in the best interest of the children? And people can twist and turn and position that statement to their own benefit. How have you seen that play out? And and again, there's there's even been a case that has risen to the Montana Supreme Court around this. What's at the 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 what is the kernel behind when parents take that what's in the best interest of the child and and really start to twist it into their own best interest it's so easy to do it's so easy to enmesh what i want to be right to be to have it my way to prove my point um and say well it's it's what's best for my kids when really what's best for your kids is to not have their life colored in conflict and so I don't even remember what the issue was in the Supreme Court case. I'm just, I'm thinking it might have been something about school, like the parents are fighting over whether to go to, you know, school A or school B. And then they spend, you know, six months fighting about it, spending a bunch of money on attorneys, pointing figures at what bad things will happen at school A and what bad things will happen at school B. And it makes it all the way to the Montana Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court says, guys, It doesn't matter what school they go to. Now your kids are so stressed out about what school they go to 
and how when they go, eventually go to one school or the other, the other parent's going to be mad and the other parent thinks it's bad, that you have veiled your own desire to be right as what's best for your child when all you have done was cause them heartache throughout this process. And so it's really, really important. You know, there are times when there are very vital things that are best for kids. Um, you know, maybe there's a really terrible parenting schedule that would be bad. Maybe there's a safety issue. Um, you know, maybe there's logistics that just simply couldn't happen. Um, that, you know, one parent is making the other parent, you know, drive all over Montana. You know, there, there are certainly things that do need to get resolved that, that have to do with what's best for your kids. But um, short of that, a lot of times it's just, you know, a parent's own desire to be right or to get their way um, or to vindicate something from the past. Um, and it doesn't matter whether the kids go to gymnastics or soccer. Like they just want two loving parents who get along. Well, isn't that the truth? I'm going to challenge you a bit as a lawyer. Uh, I've, I've often heard it said it's not divorce that screws children up. It's bad behaving adults that screw children up. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. Yes. So let's take that a, a, um, one step further, that it's not divorcing people who make divorce difficult. It's lawyers who make divorce difficult. You are unique because you are that smiley, warm, kind-hearted uh, people like, really? She's a lawyer? Uh, our lawyers get a bad rap. And and the good lawyers, and there are so many walking amongst us who want to use the legal system to help support these families. But there are those out there who their training, their best intent, sort of historically, they can get in the middle of it and hijack an otherwise pretty amicable divorce. How have you seen that play out in the past? And what cautionary tale even might you share with our listeners around the involvement of lawyers and making sure that you're staying in the driving driver's seat of your own legal case? So I will I'll also say that, I mean, I love all the attorneys that I work with. Um, I think Montana has a really unique perspective because all the lawyers know each other. And so nobody wants the reputation of being the exp exploder <laughs> among us. Um, and so my intent is not to throw anybody I know under the bus <laughs> covering my own bases. Yes, that sounds like a good a good strategy on your part. What if we were to imagine some poor behavior and, and again, probably well-intended, but lawyers are there to fight for you. And sometimes that fight ends up doing more damage to the relationship. Yeah. I mean, I even, I'm a tutor at the law school and I even interviewed um, a student today who said she went to, lo to law school to do family law because as a child, she felt like lawyers hijacked her family, that they that her parents couldn't even explain why they were doing what they were doing. They just said they had to because that's what the lawyers said. And they ended up, you know, feeling unsafe that they don't have control of their own, whole lives. And so this person was, you know, profoundly affected by that in order to go to law school to do something different. So it's really important to know that there, there are certainly legal strategies out there that have their place. But that you as the customer can say, I feel like that's not what's best for my family. So there's one, the one strategy that I see the most often. And then as a mediator, it's all, it, I mean, it always gets <laughs> busted is the ask for 100%, you know, and then negotiate down until you get to 50, 50. Okay. And I call that strategy, the poop in my pool strategy, where I pooped in your pool and then I cleaned it up and I want you to thank me now. <laughs> Yeah, the, the pool and now it's back to being a normal pool and it's at 50 50 and I'm somehow the hero. Um, and so I see that in cases all the time where maybe I represent one party and the other person is using the, the poop in the pool strategy. And my client is just so upset about that. Like it just feels so personally offensive to say that. So after all of what we've done for our whole lives, I should have nothing and you should have everything you know, what a bomb to drop. And you as the customer can say that you don't want to play that game. I don't understand why I have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's a strategy that's that's workable. And, and even when you have people who are in good communication, 
and they say, you know, my lawyer said that, but I don't mean it. Uh, that's not mm. what it's going to be. That's not what the written record is going to show. And it's just really hard to get around that kind of thing. Let's skip the pooping part to begin with. <laughs> and of course, in your line of work, you have encountered couples who have approached this with the long story in mind. What is it that they do differently that helps them navigate through something that by its very nature is is sad, is hard, is a grief, is a death of a story and a family structure that we thought we might have certainly longer. None of us get married planning our divorce, but some of us end up in that place. So what do these other families and individuals do differently in contrast to protect their good divorce experience? I would say there's probably three categories of people that I run into. One is folks who are just really even keeled and uh, easygoing about this whole thing. I met people who are like, oh my gosh, this was a mistake. We just got to get divorced. This was dumb. Uh, Let's just figure this out. And they're, they're just kind of staying in that business mode and that friend mode throughout. Um, There are people who want to do different and who recognize that there is this shift that, okay, well, we're no longer partners for life. That means we can realign and come up with business-like strategies to handle into the future. And we know we need a little help doing that. And they have the emotional presence to do that heavy, hard filtration of what we need to focus on and what's really important. Um, and then there's a third category of people who are really motivated by by fear that this could be so much worse. Like we don't we don't really know how to choose our battles. We don't really know. We we we're so emotionally hijacked right now that we don't know even know if we can be friends. But we know if we go down the litigation bomb throwing route that that's going to be a lifetime of pain and expense for us. And so we just know we don't want to do that. We don't necessarily know how to do it the good way. And we need a lot of help. Um, but the, the fear of the alternative is a very strong motivator. Oh, well, it is wonderful to have your insight with us today to help people find their way to the good divorce We are here to remind people it is possible. You don't have to blow each other up. You don't have to end up in extraordinary amounts of debt and destitute and destruction. You can find your business relationship, find the sweet spot, and serve your family, your children, and their future in a way that just doesn't destroy. We'll hear more about that when we come back. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Thank you. 
Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show, chatting today with Mary Althauser, mediator, lawyer, and proponent of The Good Divorce, helping couples uh, year after year for, what, 12 years now, Mary? I graduated in 2011. All that to say, it's not easy being a divorce lawyer. And your background as a social worker, as a CASA uh, professional, and, and now working within family law as a mediator, tell us a little bit about that journey for you and how you protect your wellness and how you are now working to help other lawyers bring their best self to their work and to be resilient in the face of adversity. The first thing that you learn in law school is something that they call issue spotting. And so that means looking at a landscape, whether it's a contract or a negotiation between two people um, or a divorce or a parenting plan to say, what are the potential problems or landmines that come up? Throughout our legal career, all of this issue spotting and fighting for something and trying to angle for the best outcome trains us even more to just focus on the negative, amplify the negative, exploit the negative of other people. And that is so bad for your mental health. We don't realize how that affects our lives. And so I got onto the resilience journey after just having just a macro amounts of bad experiences working with high conflict cases where I start, started to not only feel like, well, I have to find all the bad things that these are people or people are doing so that I can identify solutions. But then the, the whack-a-mole comes into play. And so I identify 10 solutions and now there's 10 more problems. Mm. It really led to a sense of just absolute hopelessness for me. Like, oh my gosh, for my own career, how am I ever going to make a difference? And then feeling bad for these families, like for their lives, how, how is everything, anything ever going to get better? I've really gotten into like resilience. Uh, if Even if you're not doing something like a good divorce or that you're you're focusing your legal career on solving problems and building people up and trying to make things better um, strategies for lawyers um, in order to be selectively uh, optimistic and selectively pessimistic. So it doesn't affect their mental health as much. Right. And you've really taken to this heart. You, you uh, write uh, monthly about this. Tell us a little bit about that and your work running resilience workshops for other legal professionals. So I have a monthly or bi-monthly, depends on when they publish, but with a Montana lawyer you can find online um, called Practicing Well, where I describe um, strategies and anecdotes on self-preservation as a lawyer. My my favorite topic on well-being is learning um, strategies for dealing with difficult conversations, for dif difficult people, difficult um, situations where, of course, the legal strategy and the rules have nothing to do with how to actually work on this dynamic between two people. Um, and there are so many actual tools out there that we would, as lawyers, would have never learned. And so I've done one, you know, on having how to have difficult conversations, how to how to work with somebody who's like, um, majorly obstinate. <laughs> I think lawyers oftentimes don't have those tools. And so we use either the head in the sand approach and just never call them back. Or some, some lawyers use the, I'm just going to yell at you until you do what you, what I want approach, which is also not a strategy. And then um, I also offer kind of coaching and um, small groups for attorneys who kind of feel like in the same boat and they just want more actual practical strategies on how to recover from the job duty of focusing on negative all day long. Remind us where people can find you, not only for your services as a lawyer and mediator, but also this resilience coaching for lawyers. Yeah. So my legal website is forwardlegal406.com. 406 is the area code for Montana. That's why. And then my um, resilience website is upslopecoaching406.com. 
And you and I have embarked on some pioneering work in our collaboration, reminding listeners, I'm a certified divorce coach, a certified trainer in crucial conversations, a drama and movement therapist. You are a social worker. We're both certified mediators. I as a divorce coach and you as a lawyer, it began to occur to us, what if this were the one-two punch that couples and families actually needed as we consider the before, during, after journey. What has been spinning in your head as you think about this pioneering work of of collaborating um, with couples? I um, I love our one two punch, Karen. <laughs> that's what <laughs> I, that's what's spinning in my mind. So, um, I mean, so often people come to me just wanting to know how to do the paperwork. And of course, paperwork is my jam. I can do the paperwork, uh, you know, after a series of a couple questions to figure out, you know, how do you want to do your retirement accounts? What's the schedule? Who drives who? Um, Paperwork is the easy part, but the relationship is the hard part. And the paperwork is not going to do anything for your relationship, even though a parenting plan might say, and it's something like, um, we We'll always respect each other and, and not talk negatively about each other and keep the children's best interests in mind. Just because I put it in the paperwork doesn't mean it's true. And so that's where um, Karen's magical skills come in to help with that, with those whack-a-mole mindsets, the dwelling on the past, um, all of the positive resilience building that we can do during a divorce um, so that we accomplish both the paperwork and the relationship. Yes. And uh, I just want to add to that what has been so rewarding for me is we're able to take a couple who can sit in the same room, right? That's the that's the first criteria. Can you sit in the same room together and have a meaningful conversation that doesn't escalate into hostility? And what I find to be ideal, and I will tell people, call your coach before you call your lawyer, is to work with the couple to identify where do you imagine the speed bumps are going to come? How can we anticipate that? How do we move through separation? Some couples just want to actually do a physical separation to unwind part of their finances, to begin to explore what it is to raise our children across two homes. And that in and of itself is an exceedingly difficult, overwhelming process that has a lot of best practices that we're happy to share. And once we move through that process, then we invite Marion, and that's the during. And as you said, there is a legal component. I'm always astonished how easy it is to get married and how complicated it is to get divorced. They are at opposite ends of the complex spectrum. So being able to have someone like yourself to navigate that again without doing harm. But then there's the after component. And I'm curious how often you hear from clients after the fact and you know there is another triggering that can happen with the completion of now we're done, what does that mean? Not to mention co-parenting shifts over time depending on the age of your kids. You might have a parenting plan that's a two, two, five rotation or three nights or four nights. And then in my case, I now have teenagers and they're like, we don't want to transition between homes less than two weeks. Like we always want a two week in one house and kids with three and four year olds think, oh my gosh, I can't imagine that. So there is something to be said about the age appropriateness, as well as are the parents staying in the same community? How do we guide that? Uh, do you find yourself hearing back from clients uh, either directly or indirectly after you have walked through this journey with them? Yeah, very regularly. I mean, Missoula is a small community, so I'll even run to people, run into people, you know, out and about. And I mean, this was even one thing that that led to me really feeling down and out about being a lawyer is usually you run into either your client or the other person out in the community and you feel like you need to hide behind the cereal aisle. Um, and then these folks that it is not the case at all. It's like, what good news do you have to share? How are things going? How is your life? And I, I mean, I always get um, something much more positive, you know, when it's a litigation client that I run into 
it's out, it's usually going to be like, well, I'm probably going to need to call you about blah, blah, blah. And in this case, it's no, we've, we've actually, we've worked together. Well, we might need you to type up our new plan because uh, we've changed it and, and we, you know, we like seeing you, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's usually a positive um, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as things develop and change, um, they're, they're able to manage it, the kind of kitchen style, kitchen table style, and, and implement the legal system as needed, um, rather than the only option being, well, I'm going to have to take you to court over this. Um, oh, so and, exhausting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As you consider uh, moving down the path of lawyering for these families, providing support, if there were just a few things you would say to our listeners for them to really keep top of mind if they're in pursuit of a good divorce, what are some of those tangible behavior, life lessons, advice moments, uh, nuggets of advice that you would share? I would say first research your options. And so there are some communities that have collaborative teams Um there are some places where um, I don't I don't know what the rules might be about whether you have to have a lawyer or you have to go a certain route, um, and so first don't listen to the raging groups on Facebook or your you know your girlfriend who had a terrible experience and assume that that has to be the only way, and so be sure to look online um, for some for something that's either has the word collaborative um, has mediation. Um, cooperative, amicable, use any of those terms to find somebody who can give you the range of options available to you in your community. Again, that's going to be um, state specific based on the rules. Um, And then two is to really be self-aware, maybe go to counseling um, about what it means to realign with somebody and to be able to use that filter of like, maybe you're dropping battles that you, you felt were, you were wronged for years upon years. And it's the whole reason you are getting divorced, but holding on to that actually has nothing to do with the parenting schedule or the soccer schedule or (laughs) how we spend Christmas how we make our children's lives rich and abundant in spite of divorce, not yeah. because of it. Yeah. Think of what the gift of your choosing to drop certain battles is giving to your kids. Mm-hmm. Such a gift. Mary Althauser, full of wisdom and best practices today. Remind our listeners where we can find you online. You can find my law practice at forwardlegal406.com and you can find my resilience coaching at upslopecoaching406.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and story and really enjoying our collaboration, not only here on the air today, but also with families and couples uh, beyond the airwaves in the good divorce approach and reminding all of our listeners that everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.